You're listening to audio from the Town Center campus of CA Church, located in downtown Coquitlam. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Well, if you've closed your Bibles by now, open them up again to Luke uh, chapter 1. I think this is a great uh, metaphor for what it feels like to step into the Christmas season. Uh, if, if you haven't noticed it yet, if you haven't heard, if you haven't kind of felt the, the hoopla of Christmas yet, uh, many went out um, for uh, Black Friday sales, and many couldn't find anything, I heard. Apparently, malls were empty, and a, a, lot, a lot of deals that people expected uh, weren't there, so people had to scratch out their lists and start again. Um, and I don't know, like, for, for me, I, I don't feel it yet, but I, you know that whenever they talk about tsunamis and they say, oh, and you, all the water goes out? And then you're just waiting for the tsunami. That's kind of what it feels like right now. It's like everything's like, wait, no, it's going to, no, no, it's coming. It's coming. And we start, start to get uh, a little anxious. Um, the family planning that has to go on between where we're going to go for each meal and the different, um, how many have already double booked? Anyone? No one's double booked yet. Oh, okay. Yeah, a few back there. Um, a few where you think, obviously, the date that far in advance. Obviously, it's open. I don't need to check my calendar. And then you check your calendar. Look, I've got three things there. And then there's, oh, and I didn't just notice that my wife's Google calendar was not showing up at the same time. And then there's those things that I've apparently I've agreed to uh, as well. There's, there's always some FOMO. There's always a fear of missing out on something that's going to go on. You don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. And so many of us know that feeling of kind of the anxiety that comes with, with the season. And if we're not careful, we can walk through the entire season, maybe giving lip service to the nativity, giving uh, kind of servitude to the, the whole idea of Christmas. Uh, we sing the songs of, of Christmas, but we have hearts that are so busy, we look like, uh, we look like we're celebrating Christmas, but really we're, we're just kind of traveling through Christmas. <laughs> We're not really, we never feel like we actually land on Christmas. And by the time we're done writing cards and, and buying gifts and putting up trees and putting up lights, we, we're just kind of on top of this Christmas ritual. And so often we need to ask ourselves, how can we be careful not to lose ourselves in all of this? How, how can we make sure that we don't lose ourselves in all the ritual? Because that's what it is. It's, it's ritual. It's Christmas ritual. It's, it's Advent, which we just practice. It's another ritual that we add. Ritual is a, a series of actions performed according to a prescribed order. A series of actions performed according to a prescribed order. We, we do things, we try to do them the same way because they think that they'll maybe give us something. And so for many of us, we, we repeat the same kind of patterns every year, right? Uh, how many have a movie that they need to watch at Christmas time? Yeah. Um, certain, a certain album that they need to listen to at Christmas time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And often, if you're like me, you'll go on Spotify and you'll be like, hey, what's new? What's new? What? Nah, it's all garbage compared to the one I've listened to for 20 years. Why would I add anything to it? Uh, certain foods that we maybe want to have, certain baking that we need to do. And, and if these aren't in place, it just doesn't seem right. Uh, we, put pressure on, we put so much pressure on these things <laughs> to make us feel like it's Christmas time. Uh, one year I was serving as Christmas pastor, uh, Christmas pastor. <laughs> Come in and know me better, man. Yes, Christmas pastor. I was a worship pastor when I was push pastor up at Mariner. And uh, actually, calling it that actually makes it work even better. But uh, uh, and some of you might recall, this is probably about 13, 12 or 13 years ago, there's a, a major uh, whiteout, big 
uh, a big amount of snow that had fallen all through the 23rd and then the morning of the 24th. And so I was on the phone with Pastor Mark, and we were debating, should we actually do that? Even if we're able to get people up to the church, what about that trip down, Mariner, afterwards? I don't know that we want to be responsible for that. So we made the decision, and uh, I started calling the worship team, and I, I, I will always remember the one person whose response was, you're canceling Christmas? To which I said, no, that's the job for the Christmas pastor. For me, see, see what I did? Do you see what I did? <laughs> I'm not, I don't have the power to cancel Christmas. <laughs> it felt so powerful at that moment. But each year, it's, it's the same. And because of that, it can often drain Christmas. It can drain a season of Advent for what it is meant to do. We, we get to the end of Christmas, and we've, we've done all the things. We've done all the ritual. And we say, where was the joy to the world in all of that? Where, where was the, the peace on earth in the midst of all of that. Like Zechariah, we find in this text, we can be walking through ritual, believing it's all pointing to something, but maybe missing it as it comes by, questioning it, questioning it as it comes by. Forgetting that God has spoken into our existence, that, that, that God has revealed himself fully in Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And so there's a real danger of empty Ritual, and I think we see that modeled in this in this story. Verse eight, it says, "Once when Zechariah's uh, when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving. Listen to those words that point to ritual. He was on duty. He was serving as priest before God. He was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. There's so much ritual. There's, there's so much readying, ought to be readying of the heart and mind for God to do something. Zechariah and the, and the people of Israel seem prepared for something great. They are ready to hear from God. And for many of us, especially if we've, if we've grown up to the church or, or grown up in the church or gone through the ritual of Christmas over and over and over, we can often listen to the ritual but never land in it, always, or, or often land in it and not look through what it's pointing us to. So the question is, are we expectant in this season? Are we expecting God to speak to us over these, these next weeks into, into Christmas? Uh, I'm, I'm not against things like Christmas lights. I'm really not against Christmas lights ever since I was able to just put a light and plug it in, and it just shines all these lights on, on my house. That's the best invention ever. I'm not against Christmas lights. I'm not against Christmas trees. But when we forget that Christmas lights ought to remind us of the light of the world that came down from heaven, when we forget that that presence or a, a dim shadow of the greatest gift of all, the gift of God's only Son for the redemption of humanity— then we lose the point of it all. When we take the reason out of the ritual, there's no longer reason for the ritual. One of the things I do appreciate about, about Christmas and the season, well, the whole fall season actually leading into Christmas is, is, is pumpkin pie. But where my son will eat a quarter of the pie or maybe half the pie, maybe three quarters if no one's around, I don't even care about the slice, the slice size of the pie because it's really just a holding mechanism for the whipping cream. And it is amazing how I can hide a slice of pie with that, with that whipping cream. When it comes to Christmas, it seems that many of us have settled for the, the whipping cream and forgotten the pie that it sits on. And it's not satisfying. It lasts a while. It's kind of sweet, makes us feel good, but it has no substance underneath it. 
And so in this season, as we talk about hope and, and joy and faith and love and peace, we need to remember that, that joy does not exist, exist apart from the event which brought it. Something had to happen beyond, beyond a snowman and beyond a reindeer to bring on hope and joy and peace. Peace does not give birth to itself. Something causes peace to be stirred in us. It was the birth of the Prince of Peace that gives us reason to sing peace on earth and goodwill to men. That's why even when we go through things like communion, which we'll be doing next week, or when we do baptisms, which I'm hoping to do within the, the, next, the next month, we, we explain why we're doing it. We explain what these things symbolize. And it's not just for those who might be visiting us on a Sunday. It's for you and me to remember so that these practices do not become de- devoid of reason and, and meaning and, and therefore spiritual benefit. So in Scripture today, we have an example of, of what it can look like to live lives based on practice, with ritual, but maybe miss the deeper meaning, without expectancy, of ritual often without substance. Zechariah is a priest. His, his wife, uh, he's with his wife Elizabeth. They're living in Judea in the first century during a time of, of Roman dominance. And even their own king is, is evil and he's just kind of out for himself. He's meant to, to represent the people of Israel, but he's not doing a great job. And in their personal lives, they're struggling with the fact that they haven't been able to have children. And not only have they not been able to, they're beyond the years. They're beyond their childbearing years. And so as a priest... Zechariah tells us in Luke 1, he's been chosen to go into the temple, pray for Israel. And when he does so, he finds himself face to face with the angel Gabriel, the angel of God, who tells him in verse 13, says, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He'll bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah, the great prophet, to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. In other words, Zechariah, everything that you've been praying, everything you've been praying for yourself, everything the people of Israel have been praying for, everything you've been praying for for your nation, all of those things are bound up in this answer that Yahweh is giving to you for your prayers. Your prayers have been heard. Your wife is too old for children, and you lament the fact that you were never able to raise your own child. Your nation has been living in in turmoil. It's been calling out. It's been waiting for a Messiah to save your people from Roman power. Both of those prayers and so much more are going to be answered in your son, John. He will be a trumpet announcing that the weight of the nation is over. The long-awaited Messiah is coming, and your child gets to make that announcement. Now, Zechariah, as, as a priest and as a Jew, has spent the majority of his life, his entire life, waiting for a Messiah. He spent most of his days going through ritual in, a, in an attempt to, prayer, to prepare his heart, his mind, himself, and his people for this, this coming arrival, this advent of a king in the line of King David. Zechariah would 
would have had uh, Hebrew scriptures like Isaiah 11 in mind. Isaiah 11, 1 to 2. Do we have that over there? Yeah. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David. A shoot will come up from his roots. A branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And so through this text and many other texts pointing towards a day when when God is going to show up in a special way with his anointed one with the, the spirit over him. These would have all been in Zechariah's mind. And now he's been told by an angel. He's been told by an angel named Gabriel. Gabriel means strong man or the hero of God. He's probably ripped. He's probably, probably, probably doesn't skip, you know, skip leg days. He's probably pretty bot. No, I don't know. I don't know. But he's declaring that the wait is over. And I can see Gabriel as he makes this announcement. He's probably looking at Zechariah like, huh? Isn't this great? You must be expecting Zechariah to just burst out of the temple, screaming out this good news. What do you think of this, Zechariah? He ought to have a response of great joy. His response as a priest ought to be to run out and proclaim. I mean, this would have been the dream of every priest. Every priest that went into the temple and prayed on behalf of Israel. Normally, the priest would walk into the temple and after offering prayers and, and say, he would say a blessing over the crowd of devoted followers of Yahweh. And usually that blessing would have to, something to do with continuing to wait, continuing to trust, for surely the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, the God of David will one day save us. Imagine being the one priest in all of the history of Israel who's finally been told, you get to do that today. You get to go out and you get to proclaim to the children of Israel that the wait is over. But that isn't what happens. Zechariah asked the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man. And my wife is advanced in years. I don't know whether he's looking over his shoulder or she's advanced in years. He's kind of a glass is half empty kind of priest. Here is a messenger of God, an angel, radiant light, who has to say, as all angels say, don't be afraid. I love how angels just say that. Don't be afraid. Don't worry about it. <laughs> here's a messenger of God proclaiming release from the captives. And he's, he's, here's Zechariah is forgetting his Bible stories, forgetting about Sarah and Rebecca and Rachel and, and Hannah, all women who, would, who, who wanted to have children, who, who could not have children. And God said, I'm going to give you kids anyway. I know you think it's over. I know you think it can't go any further. I know you think you can't be blessed in this area, but I'm going to take care of that. God who loves to work his promises through those who everyone else thinks are unhelpable, unusable. To bring hope through those who the world often thinks are hopeless. It seems like, in a way, for Zechariah, all the ritual, all, all the prayers, all the tradi- tradition had kind of lost its strength. Maybe it was void of true belief, and it was just being caught up in the ritual and, and finding identity in the ritual. It, it, it had lost its potency. It had lost its reason. And when we take the reason out of ritual, there's no reason for ritual. So how are we doing with that? 
Have the words hope and joy and peace, have they lost meaning for us? Are they just something we need to stir up each year? How peaceful have you been feeling so far? How peaceful are you going to be? Do you find that as you get closer to December 25th that your joy increases? (laughs) Or do you feel like it diminishes? You get more and more anxious about what needs to be prepared. Zechariah knew the ritual. He knew the, the, the year after year practices, but they had become empty. They, they, they no longer pointed to a, a greater reality, maybe, a greater story. But here's the great thing. There's actually opportunity in empty ritual. There, there's, it's not, all hope is not gone, even in empty ritual. We see that with Zechariah. All hope is not gone, even, even if maybe it's been lost on him for a while. So rather than have this opportunity to approach the, the awaiting crowd with news that they'd been waiting for for 1,500 years, and in the first case, Zechariah is made mute. He's unable to speak. The angel said to him, I'm Gabriel. I stand at the presence of God. I just give you this great news. And I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens. Because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people who were awaiting Zechariah and wondering why he stayed in the temple so long. And when he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had had a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. I'd love to know what those signs were. And they're just like, something finally happened. Tell us what's going on. I don't know what he was like. I don't know know what he was doing. Some sort of charades. Verse 23 says, when his time of service was completed, he returned home. Imagine having all that information, wanting to express it to the people outside, and he just had to pack it up and go home. He couldn't communicate with them. I would propose to you that during the time of of Advent and the season of Christmas, you and I are given a great opportunity in our conversations with other people. Never before have words like birth or light or hope or joy been thrown around so much. So much ritual devoid of meaning. We have gestures often without explanation. But we have an opportunity to make sure that the ritual that surrounds us is actually lived out with with conviction. We have an opportunity now in the language that's used in songs, the language that's used in malls and in coffee shops and in our living rooms to open up conversation about what words like hope and light and joy actually mean and where can we actually find them in a real, eternal way. Because I tell you, the world will run after all, runs after ritual, especially at this time of year, finds a little joy when it watches Elf, Finds find some, some comfort when it watches A Christmas Carol. There's some nostalgia involved. But often it's, it's something that just kind of comes like whipping cream on a pie. It's enjoyed. It's sweet for a while. Maybe makes us feel a little sick afterwards. And then just kind of moves on. That's the state of many of the people around us. Uh, Lelania and I and, and our, our daughter Arielle were watching a movie this week. Uh, on Disney Plus, and uh, it was not good. It was very, very, very bad. Um, and it was full of all everything you'd expect from a Disney movie. It was full of nostalgia. It had uh, catchy phrases, kind of, kind of these fluffy statements that were supposed to make you feel good about love. 
No explanation of what that is. It felt like it felt like even as you're watching the movie, it looked like the people in the movie wanted out. That's how bad it was like, are you seeing this? Like it's like they wanted to get out of the movie. And then and, and never before we're a we're a we're a little judgy sometimes, but never before have we booed and hissed a screen in our living room. Like boo! It was, it was just so bad. <laughs> yeah, kind of like that. And we got to the end, and we just, we just looked at each other, and we just went, is that, is that it? That's all you, that, was, that was your answer? That was your answer to this problem? And I got the feeling as I watched it that Disney is running out of ways to conjure up meaning out of its formula. It's trying to use shadows. It's trying to use whipping cream to give meaning. But it's ritual without reason. It can't give any real hope. It can't give any real answers. That's the sense I get from much of what our world deems important and what our world deems meaningful, trying to conjure up meaning and purpose and peace and joy and hope without a source, without a nativity. What an opportunity to ask some real questions of our neighbors and our friends and our family. To offer more than, than ritual and, and gesture and, and make this, this Advent time of, of prayers and thanksgiving and expressing our longing for our returning king. Because that's when the ritual moves beyond the lighting of a candle of, of hope and joy and our, our entire lives become a ritual, a practice pointing to something greater. Our lives are, are animated by the story behind the ritual. I think of, of Paul writing in Romans 12. He says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your, your true and proper worship. Don't conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That, that, that's the invitation. We, we, we let what this the ritual, this ritual represents something great. And our whole lives are invited to live that out, to be animated by the story that this represents. And when we do that, that's when we stop just making gestures with no real meaning behind them and just have to pack up and go home. When, we, when our lives are animated by this beautiful story, our lives become the ritual that declare his glory. Later in the story, we read that Zechariah's wife, Elizabeth, she had a different response. Some might say the proper response, a proper approach. The ritual meant something to her. All the stories she'd heard over and over, they seemed to have taken deep, deep root. She saw in all the, the talk of hope and joy, she saw it pointing towards something bigger. And so she seemed to live a life that was expecting it. They seemed to instill in her a, a reminder that God's eye has been on her, that God's eye is on the people of Israel, and that he's not done yet. In verse 25 of chapter 1 of Luke, she says, The Lord has done this for me. His eye has been on me, and he has taken away my shame, just like he always promised he would do. And later when Elizabeth meets Mary, the mother of Jesus, pregnant with Jesus, it says in verse 39, Mary got ready, hurried to a town of the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the child 
you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And as soon as the sound of her greeting reached my ear, the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Man, doesn't everyone want an Elizabeth in their life? Who just, "Ah, yeah, God's been working this whole time and now we get to see it. Sees God working behind the scenes, trusting God, living in obedience, seeking God's work in her life, recognizing it. The stories she heard growing up in a, in a Jewish community, the promises of a Messiah that God would act, that they weren't just empty, warm promises. They were the very foundations of her joy and hope and faith. It's important when we look at Advent, when we look at Christmas, baptism, the Lord's Supper, that we don't look to those sacraments, we look through those sacraments. That we don't rest at the bread, we look through the bread to the body that was broken for us. Then when we look at the, 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 the Advent candles, we don't just go hope and just grab onto the word hope and grab onto whatever that means and just kind of let it give us a nostalgic feeling inside. We look through that hope to the God who gives us hope. We look through the candles of peace and and joy to the God who can truly give us peace and joy in a chaotic, often dark world. The gospel that's proclaimed to Zechariah that manifests through the birth of John and through Jesus, brought to fruition through Jesus, the perfect son of God that's yours. It's mine. That's what Advent, that's what Christmas prepare us for. May we respond like Elizabeth to go, I knew it. I knew you were going to do this. You've always said you were going to do it. You've proven yourself in the past, and here you are again, you. She, she probably wouldn't say it that way. That seems. <laughs> she believed it. She rejoiced in it when the Lord spoke. May we have the same expectation of God and trust him at his word. That will animate your life. It will keep us from anxiety as we anticipate his return, this very present king, living lives of Advent, lives that are are peering and waiting for our, our king, expectant and attentive to his story. You and I are about to get very busy. These next four weeks, things are gonna get crazy. And you're gonna be encouraged to watch the right movie, You're going to be encouraged to wear an ugly sweater. And if it has bells on it, just do us all a favor and say no. You're going to be saying, you're going to bake those cookies again, right? You're going to come over so that we can celebrate the way we have every other year, right? And those are not unimportant. It's important in community to have ritual, to have tradition. But I want to encourage you not to let Advent pass you by, the season of anticipation that leads us to hope and joy to pass you by without times of prayer, without times of reflection and and devotion, of of sitting and, and celebrating the story that brings your story and my story meaning. That's what will bring reason to our ritual this season. And without that, there's no reason for our ritual. 
Otherwise, it'll be another year of anxiety with hints of joy, with hints of hope, but they will all be a mist because they are simply shadows cast by a larger, more beautiful story. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the Christmas story. I thank you for the story of the nativity because it points, it it tells us that you see us, you know us, you love us, and you act on our behalf. What an amazing, mysterious thing it is to say, Emmanuel, God with us. God, there are many of us who come in this morning and we are, we've we've already felt anxious. We didn't even need a Christmas season for it. (laughs) We're already feeling anxious. Some of us, as we look through these next few weeks, we look at people we're going to spend time with, maybe, the things that, um, things that are expected of us, financial concerns in this, this time. And we need more than just whipping cream. We need more than just shadows of hope and joy and peace. We need your larger story to envelop our smaller story. We need to seek out meaning in the God who called all things into being. And so in this time of anticipation, in this time of replaying the drama of expecting the Messiah, and as we do so looking forward to your second coming, I pray that we would have expectant hearts. I pray that the truth of Emmanuel, God with us, that Jesus took on human flesh and lived and died and rose again would animate us through this season. That we would not be seen as as Christ followers, that we would not be seen with those with empty gestures, but we would be animated by the truth of the gospel. I pray that you would fill us afresh with your spirit and the hope and the joy and the peace that comes along with that. We, we dedicate the liturgy of this season to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.